conference. Are you alive? Are you with me? All right. Well, hey, I just want to first start off by thanking New Life Church, Pastor Brady, uh, for loving young people and for saying yes to hosting this conference year after year. It's a vision of this house to invest in a generation. And so I'm so thankful for that. I also want to thank David and Renata Perkins for, oh gosh, I'm tender this morning, for saying yes. For saying yes over a decade ago to believe, to dare to believe that God had higher purposes for this generation than what we were seeing. And so I'm so thankful for their leadership and saying yes to leading this. Um, Also, lastly, I just want to thank my husband, Dan, for believing in me, for giving me the opportunity to cultivate my preaching skills and for loving me and being my ultimate hero. And so ladies out there, don't marry anyone unless he's your hero. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, Hey, want to show you last year, um, I was pregnant at this time and praise Jesus. Uh, that's over and he's here. So I want to introduce you to my little boy, Aiden. Look at him. He's so precious. Uh, so he is the best thing that's ever happened to me, second to Dan Perkins. Um, but I got to tell you, I, I was not um, the, like the, the girl that, you know, babysat a lot and, uh, you know, was just like so comfortable around kids, like um, kind of freaked me out, just to be honest. I was like, I don't know how to talk to you. Um, but I have to say, becoming a mom has way surpassed anything I could have ever dreamed or imagined and coming alive in a new way. And so he is my new, my new, uh, joy and reason for living. So, all right, well, Hey, I got to tell you that, you know, something that I love about young people, something that I love about you is you guys are just radical. You guys are just extreme. You take everything to the max. If you're into something, you're like all in. You know, as adults, we kind of, you know, in, in our aging and in our maturing, we kind of like want to live a little more balanced and we kind of mellow out. And But, oh, what I love about young people is you're radical. And so let me just tell you something a little bit about myself. When I was in high school, I was that girl who I think I thought I was cool, but I wasn't, I wasn't really. Um... I was super into band. Yeah, do I got any any band nerds in the house? All right, well, hey, so here's the deal. I have some pictures of our team of when we were all in high school and kind of the things that we were into. So let me show you this picture. This was me. Oh, yes, my senior picture. Got to love it. I just owned it. Listen, and what I mean by all in is this consumed my life. I mean, days and nights and weekends, I was passionate about color guard. All right, so my next one. This is Dave. Oh, this is Dan. Yes. All right, you can't really see him, but he had this car. And, you know, how many of you guys drive a clunker? (laughs) You know, your first car is always... You just, listen, you got your first set of wheels and you're just thankful to be able to drive. So this was Dan with his, one of his cars. He had another car was actually blue and it kind of became the, the, the mantra of his senior class. All right, this is David. 
<laughs> I didn't know I had this picture. <laughs> oh, welcome to the, I'm part, now a part of the Perkins family. So um, he was super into show choir, and I couldn't find a picture, uh, but that was his thing. All right, the next one, this is Brandon. Oh, no, this is John. Check that out. <laughs> this is John in high school. Love Jesus. All right, next slide. Who's next? All right, this is Corey. Corey Asbury. So he was super into sports. And listen, unless you're super competitive, you do not want to get on the court with him because he will tear you to pieces. So I choose to just have some distance. So here's the thing. In high school, what I love, junior high, what I love is what I was just saying is you're radical. You're all in. And I think the reason is because that all of us, we have this desire to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We want our life to have meaning. I think our generation, we're, we're looking for something to give ourselves to. And this, the pictures I showed, that's, that's not it. <laughs> but let me tell you that when we've said yes to Jesus, this is the best yes you could have ever said. This is the best thing you could have ever joined to be radical. This is the best thing that you could have signed up for. But here's the thing. We have a problem. This is what my heart is truly grieved by. This quote by Charles Spurgeon. He was a, a, a preacher in the early 1900s who um, brought the word intensely. And he says... There was a time indeed of fire and of divine violence and vigor, but we've gradually cooled down. And though here and there, there's a little breaking out of the old desperado spirit of the Christian religion, yet for the most part, the world has so mesmerized the church that she's nearly asleep as she can be. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So I just want to call the enemy on the carpet this morning. I'll just tell you that I have felt some really intense just warfare over just this, this word that I feel the Lord stirred in my heart this morning and because his first priority against the church is to lead her astray from wholehearted love and extravagant devotion. That's his mission. He wants this rally moment, this yay for Jesus. His number one aim when you step outside of these doors, when you get on your, in your vans and buses and go home, is to lead you astray from wholehearted love and devotion. But I believe, I believe that God wants to mark many of you. Actually, he wants to mark all of you. But will you say yes? Will you give yourself to this Jesus thing? Not one foot in and one foot out, but wholeheartedly. That's what he wants to mark every single one of you with. But here's the thing. It's a partnership. It's a partnership with him. I can tell you that, like I said in the first session, I came to a conference like this when, when I was in junior high. 
And I said, I, by the grace of God, he gave me the strength to keep saying yes. And here's what it is. It's just one day at a time, friends. Just one day. I didn't just get up here by like miraculously, like God just kind of transported me through time. No, it, it was me saying yes. When my friends are rejecting me, it's me saying, Jesus, I'm going to keep my eyes on you. When the, 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 the things of this world and living for my own success and living for the cultural definitions of what my worth should be in, it's me saying, no, Jesus, I'm going to set my face like flint and I'm going to run after you. It's just the simple devotion of daily obedience and saying yes to him. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. So if you want to just open up your hands with me. Let's just pray. And let's just, the Holy Spirit, he's here. Jesus, I love you. I want you to receive the reward that you deserve from these people. God, would you pour out your grace in this time to help them keep saying yes. God, I ask that you would Mark willing ones that would say, I'm going to give you my yes, even in my weakness. Mark willing ones that would have a picture of the future like Banning was talking about yesterday. God, mark ones that say yes to holiness. Like John was talking about yesterday. God, I thank you for how you've intricately knit the messages of this sermon, of of these sermons together for these specific people. Would we not take it lightly? God, and so I ask, would you anoint my weak words? God, and I ask that you would provoke love, provoke hunger. God, that we would give you our lives because you've given us yours. So we love you, Jesus. Would you come? Amen. So here's something that I see. If you guys have your Bibles, if you have your Bible, raise it up. If you got a journal and you're taking notes, raise it up. Yes. Good job, friends. All right. If you have your Bible, if you want to turn with me to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. This is a scripture that the Lord gave this ministry years ago in the, in the birth of desperation. And I just felt prompted to just sh- to share on it today. And, and it's a, it's a prophetic Psalm that's talking about when Jesus comes back, what he will find on the earth. So it's, it's, a, it's a little complicated, but just try to focus in, try to, try to picture it rather than just like kind of ignoring the words that I'm saying, actually try to picture it. So Psalm 110 verse one, it says, the Lord says to my Lord. So this is the father He's speaking to the son and he says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. For the Lord, meaning Jesus, you will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. And this is the verse I want to highlight. Verse three, your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, you, your youth are to you as the dew. Okay, so, and you're kind of like, what is that talking about? Okay, here's what this is saying. There will be a willing people arrayed in holiness. Jesus, he will come back and he will rule as a king on this earth. Friends, he's a real person. Like, like 
He's got, he's, got, he's got a resurrected body right now. He's got a flesh, and yes, he's in heaven, and we don't really quite know like, what that looks like or exactly like what that means, how is a, how is a, a man with a flesh in heaven, um, but he's got a real flesh, and he's coming back. And he's going to defeat injustice. He's going to defeat sin. Well, he's already defeated sin and sickness and darkness. He's already defeated it. But he's going to rule over it on this earth. And guess what? He wants to do it with us. He doesn't want to do it alone. He's never been about being alone. <laughs> he wants to do it in partnership with us. And so here's, what, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a people that he's going to come back for that are going to be his bride, like John was talking about last night. And a bride that's arrayed in holy majesty, that's, that, that, here's what that means. They're going to actually look like him. They're going to look like him. They're going to be, you know, I think hopefully many of your parents and your youth pastors tell you, you know, when looking at your spouse, your future and thinking about marriage, they say, do not be equally yoked. Don't be equally yoked. See, it's the same thing with Jesus. He will come back to a bride that looks like him and that's equally yoked to him. And so here's what I want to talk about today. I want that to be us, friends. I want that to be you that we would be willing, that we would look like him, that he would come back and receive the reward that's due his name. So I want to talk this morning about one of my heroes. Mentioned it in my little intro video. And he was one, but I think that there are going to be many more. And his name is John the Baptist. So I got to tell you something about myself. When we were talking about me and Dan were praying and asking the Lord, what should we name our son, Aiden? And his middle name is Zane, and that's actually a derivative of John. And the reason that I wanted to name him John is because actually I really wanted to name him John the Baptist. But Dan was like, ah, we can't name our kid John the Baptist. <laughs> so Aiden, Zane, so John the Baptist, he is one of my heroes. So there are three things that we can learn from him. So let me just kind of paint a picture of who, who this man John was. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Matthew 11, going to kind of be all over. So who was John the Baptist? So he was Jesus's cousin. He was a prophet. He was a preacher in the wilderness. So as you'd imagine, he's kind of this radical, crazy guy. He had, he had taken a Nazarite vow, which meant he didn't cut his hair. He wore camel skin and a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts, which I think are like these really big grasshopper things and honey, you know, that's you know, not quite Chick-fil-A in your Chick-fil-A sauce. Um, so locusts and honey was John the Baptist's thing. And uh, so this man, the Lord, sent, knit him in, his, in Elizabeth's womb and sent him ahead of Jesus to prepare the way. And so he was quite strange. It's pretty unique. So what he was doing is... He was preaching in the wilderness. So I can imagine that there's kind of like these John the Baptist conferences happening. And people are, are walking for hours and miles 
to go hear this crazy preacher guy that's preaching a really intense message of saying, I don't care if you're Jew or Gentile, but you people need to repent and get right with God because the Messiah is coming and you need to be ready for him. And so people were going out because they were kind of like checking out who's this, who's this strange guy preaching a really intense message in the wilderness. So this was John. So Matthew 11 says, here's what I love. One of the things that I love about him is, says from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. So here's what John was doing. He was going before Jesus and he was awakening people to spiritual hunger. So John, he was radical. John, he was hungry. He was desperate for Jesus. John, do you want to turn to me? John 535 says that he was a burning and shining lamp. Here's what that means. He had a burning heart and therefore his ministry light shined. So some of you here, are feeling like, God, I, I, I feel called to the ministry. I feel, I feel, I wanna, I wanna preach or I wanna lead worship or, um, and, and, and you're wondering, how, how do I get there? I wanna have a shining light. But first, you gotta have a burning heart. You have to have a burning heart in order to have a shining lamp. So his heart was alive. His heart was on fire for God. His ministry was expelling darkness. He wasn't concerned with being politically correct. He wasn't concerned with being popular. He wasn't concerned with being cool. I don't think he was even concerned with being respected. He was concerned with his obedience, no matter what that looks like. Because his heart loved, he didn't, he didn't love himself more than he loved God. And I'm afraid that's where most of us are. We love our image more than we love obedience. We love our comfort more than we love serving him. So I quoted that, that word from Spurgeon, how the, the world has so mesmerized the church that she is nearly asleep. So friends, we're called to have a burning heart. So here's what I want to call us to today. We have to fight for hunger. As I was talking about that Matthew 11 talks, says from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Okay, I'm not talking about a physical violence. Okay, please do not interpret that scripture as physical violence against people. No, what it is, is it's possessing an interior zeal and passion and hunger that I want to remove all that hinders love in my heart for him. I have, a, I have a zeal and a passion that I don't want anything in me. I don't want any sin. I don't want any darkness. I don't want any bit of passivity or lethargy in me that's going to limit my love for Jesus. Did you know that you can, you can really love him this much? I know some of you are, you're feeling this hunger. I don't know what you're talking about. 
love. I don't, I don't quite get it. To be alive, friends, means to be hungry. And I think that, so let's talk about hunger for a second. You know, we, we talk about spiritual hunger and that, you know, do you guys know what I'm talking about when I mean like an ache? Like you have an, an ache for, for something. And let me just tell you, when you feel that ache, that, ah, uh, this, this like, this desire, this, this longing, you know what it is? It's an invitation. It's, it's, it's honestly, it's the Holy Spirit and he's pricking your heart. And what it is, is he's saying, come, come, come after me. I am living water. I am your daily bread. I am the sustenance that you're longing for. But you know, sadly, what too many of us do, and I'm guilty. I don't have my phone. Pull out our phone. And we fill the ache. We give our friends a call. Hey, let's go hang out. Let's go get pizza. Let's go see a movie. When it's an invitation, it's an ache. And let me tell you, if you would just dare to believe me, dare to trust me, that in those moments when you kind of feel this, ah, there's something in me that wants something more, that I need something more. It's God saying, it's me. It's me. I want to come and be with you. I want to come and fill you. I want to come and reveal myself to you. So come and, and commune with me and fellowship with me and have relationship with me. Friends, this is not about religion. This is not about a set of do's and don'ts. This is about a real person, a real man who has a real heart and real affections and real emotions. And he's passionate for you. And he loves you so, so much. And he's just saying, let me in, let me in, let me in. And so when you feel that, that hunger arising, there are three things that I think ways that we can cultivate and respond to that hunger. If you want to turn with me to Matthew 6. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is kind of Jesus saying, this is what it means to follow me. And there are three things. You'll see three headings. Well, actually, you'll see four different headings probably in your Bible. Three things he says. Three activities that will awaken our spiritual fervor. So some of you are feeling like, man, that girl is crazy. She's feeling all this intensity, and I do not know what she's feeling. Sadly, it's because our hearts are so cold. It's because our hearts are numb. It's because our hearts, we, we felt it and we've shut it down. We felt it and we shut it down. We felt it and we shut it down. And when we do that, that's what happens. And so I can tell you, this happens in seasons, Okay. So I'm not saying, like, we're just going to constantly live on this, like, ah, for Jesus. And I think that's part of how the enemy causes confusion in us. Because we feel these moments when we feel them, feel them, and then we go back to our room with our smelly dog and our kid brother and our parents knocking on the door. What are you doing? And you're like, I'm just trying to spend time with Jesus, and I don't even know what I'm doing, and you guys are driving me nuts. And, and, so, and so you're like, I'm not feeling it. God, I felt it at conference, but I'm just, I'm just not feeling it. The word, Matthew 6, gives us, you want a jolt of electricity? You want to like plug into a power outlet that's like, okay, God, I was meant to feel. I was meant to be hungry. So here are three things 
Here's what it is. It's choosing voluntary weakness. Everyone say voluntary weakness. Okay, so three things of being voluntarily weak. Number one, it's going to surprise you because it's actually really simple. Giving to the poor. Everyone's like, what? What? Giving to the poor. Second thing, prayer. Third thing is fasting. Because you know what, let me, I know these are three like, okay, I, can, I get the prayer. Okay, fasting, what are you talking about, fasting? So here's what it is. When we do these three things, it's an expression of our love for God. And here's what happens. Our emotional chemistry, it changes. It's minimizing our natural strength. It's, it's embracing the discomfort. It's embracing the weakness. Spending time with Jesus, reading our Bible, praying. And here's what it is. Psalm 36 verse 8 talks about a river of pleasure from God. A river of pleasure. You know, that's, that's our biggest struggle, friends. It's our pleasure. We want pleasure. And I think many times we think that that's the enemy. No, God put that in us. He called us to enjoy Things. That's why he gave them to us. But let me tell you, the highest form of pleasure you can ever experience, are you ready? It's spiritual pleasure. The highest form of pleasure is spiritual pleasure. And what I mean by that is when we open the word or when we're in a worship service or when someone's preaching and all of a sudden, you feel this like light bulb go off in your mind, and you feel it in your heart. And what it is, is it's Jesus showing himself to you. And when that happens, let me tell you, friends, that's pleasure. That is pleasure. And so these three things are an escort. You know, like when an escort, you know, like leave the girl down the aisle way. It's like these three things are an escort into that pleasure. So, John the Baptist was hungry. We have to fight for hunger. And those are the three ways that we do it. Okay, the, the second thing about John the Baptist, he, as he was a voluntary one, as he was a, a willing one, that Jesus is going to come back for more that look a bit more like him. So the Jews come to John the Baptist and they say, in John 1, 22, they say, who are you? What do you, have, what do you have to say about yourself? Here's what he says. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So this is how John describes himself. If I were to ask you, how would you describe yourself? I'm not sure if you would quite say this. Um, if you did, that would be awesome. Um, so here's what he says. He says, I'm a voice. I'm only a voice. Don't look at me. It's not about me. Don't look, don't look at this. Look at him. Look at him. I'm just the one saying, he's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy of you. He's worthy of a relationship with you. Don't look at me. 
Look at him. In John 3, 27, this is the only time that John opens up and he doesn't describe himself, but he talks about his heart. He describes his ministry, he describes his life, and he says, John answered, you yourselves were there when I made it public that I was not the Messiah, but simply the one sent ahead of him to get things ready. The one who gets the bride is by definition the bridegroom. And the bridegroom's friend, his best man, that's me. And placed at his side where he can hear every word. He's genuinely happy. How could he be jealous when he knows that the wedding is finished and the marriage is off to a good start? So here's what he's saying. My identity, my life meaning, my value, my purpose is that I am a friend of God. How many of you want to be a friend of God? Like you want to say like, okay, not just like God's my friend, but how many of you want Jesus to say about you, he's my friend? Do you want Jesus to say, yeah, Sarah, she's my friend. Yeah, Zach, he's, he's my friend. Yeah, Anthony, he's my friend. And so here's what he's saying. He's a friend, he describes himself as a friend of the bridegroom. And he's using this term bridegroom kind of as a, the, the, as a way of describing the Messiah. And he's saying, I'm the best man. So just as, listen, if you're a bridesmaid, let me just give you some bridesmaid 101, ladies. She's the only one who wears white, okay? I just had to tell this to my friend well, so the other day. She was like, I'm going to wear this white dress to, to um, the rehearsal dinner. And, and actually, it was my other friend telling a friend. And she was like, no, no, friend, you, you don't wear white. It's only the bride who wears white. Okay, so, so as a friend of the bride or friend of the bridegroom, his mission was to protect and fight for the bride. You know what it means to be a friend of God? Is that you protect and you fight for the bride. That's what Jesus wants. He's saying, will anyone know my heart? Will anyone come after me and be my friend? Will anyone draw near to me where I can share my secrets with them? That you would prepare the bride for me. So it wasn't about, he wasn't wanting the attention. Was it about his name, his fame? And verse 29, he says, So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. My joy is that he has his reward. It's not about my glory, my fame, my name, my ministry. I think one of the onslaughts from the enemy against this generation is we just want to be famous. And it's a statement of how insecure and how lost we are. We don't care what it's for. It could be doing a stupid dance on YouTube. But hey, if I got three million hits, I'm famous. Friends, there is meaning. There is so much more fulfillment when he becomes greater and we. And that's what I meant by giving to the poor, giving in secret. Here's what happens. When you give in secret and nobody knows, all of the glory goes to him. 
And here's what it does. You'll find yourself kind of like secretly wanting, oh, I wish they knew it was me. Oh, and, and you'll realize, man, how much of the attention I want. That's what I mean by it kind of unlocks your heart. Because when you see your acts of service or givenness or giving and how it brings hope, life, oh, a Starbucks coffee drink, you know, like, but you do it in secret. What it does is it's like, it's like there's a target on your heart and it just goes and expands for God. The hunger in your heart, that fire burns a little brighter, burns a little more. But the, but the secret is, it has to be in secret. And that's when you come alive. Okay, so John the Baptist was humble. So we have to have a spiritual vigor that we fight for humility. That it's not about our greatness, but it's about his. It's not me putting on a show. It's not about my image. John 3, 27. John, he says, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've only been sent ahead of him. So this is the great not of our witness. I'm not, he's saying, I'm not the light. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Elijah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He must decrease. I mean, I must decrease. He must increase. This is what it means to have the identity as friends of God, that we stand and we hear him. Here's what this looks like. It's not grandiose. It's in the mundane. It's in the normal routines of life. It's on your drive to school in the morning. It's in your history class. You're trying not to fall asleep. <gasps> Didn't want to say that, but um, it's in those, it's in, the, it's in the mundane, simple moments. You turn your attention to heaven. You say, God, I want to love you and I want to obey you. I want to love you and I want to obey you. It's not, my life isn't about me. It's about you. My life isn't about me. It's about you. He must increase. We must decrease. Okay, so the third thing, the last thing that John was, she was holy. And here's what I mean by holiness. He was consecrated. He was different in Luke 1. This is the prophecy about John the Baptist. And what it says is that he was a, a Nazarite from birth. He was one who was, who was separated, is what Nazarite means. And, and he took this, this Nazarite vow. Let me tell you about this vow. It said he was set apart from others for the service of God. So this is what it says in 15. He will never take wine or drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. He will bring many back to the Lord. He will go before. He'll have the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He will turn disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and make ready a people for the Lord. Also something that was different, I said this earlier, his, his clothes were made of camel hair. Weird. If any of you guys came in wearing camel hair, I don't really know what I would think. Better power to you. You're really trying to fight that want to be cool. That's great. Um, so... Every part of John the Baptist's life, it was for use, it wasn't for ornament. 
It was for the food that he ate. was for his nourishment that would support him. He didn't care. So everything about his life was about God, not his image, his comfort, his pleasure. He was self-denying and dead to all the pomps of the world. So here's the truth about John the Baptist. He dared to be different. How many of you would just dare to be different? Dare to be different. All of us have a desire to be unique. All of us have a desire to be set apart. All of us have that. And so I just want to fan into flame. Embrace your uniqueness. Now, I don't mean like being weird for the sake of being weird. But what I mean is that sometimes saying yes to Jesus means being obscure. Sometimes saying yes to Jesus means you're going to look a little different. You're going to do things a little different. You're going to say things that are a little weird. You're not going to do what your friends are doing. You're going to stay up late at night because you're spending time with Jesus. That's what it means. Dare to be different because you're dare to be obedient. So John was holy. So here's what I, what I want to just say about this holiness thing. When you said yes to Jesus, you were made holy. But like John said last night, there's a process of sanctification. And here's what that means is that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It means, yes, we've been made holy, but now we're becoming holy. And so I just want to challenge you in this season of your teenage years, start now. Start now. Don't wait. I heard this message when I was a teenager. It was the concept of what he said, tithe your teen years. Because everyone say, tithe your teen years. And the idea was a tithe is 10%. General age of life, Moses says this in the Bible, is 70 years. So, seven years, 13 to 20 is seven years. If you give the Lord seven, your teenage years, it's seven years, which is 10% of your life. And it's the idea of give him this season. Consecrate this season to the Lord. And I can tell you that if you fight for it now, I think the fruit of the longevity It'll be more lasting. Fight for it now. So here's what that looks like for me. I'm not saying this for you. I gave up dating. I didn't date high school. I didn't have a boyfriend. Dan, honestly, he was my first kiss. <laughs> and I just want to just put that out there. Listen, I, just to be, I wasn't the girl that all the guys were after. It's okay. My, 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 my identity was in Jesus. He loved me. He said I was beautiful. I didn't need the attention from all the guys. Girls, you don't need it. You don't need it. Your heavenly father loves you. He knit you in your mother's womb. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Fellas. Right, if all the girls don't like you, save yourself. Fight for holiness. Fight for it. It's a fight, friends. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> you, you get me. It's a fight. <laughs> fight for holiness. But here's the thing you leaders out there, consecration is not just about your teenage years. You have to continually fight for it. 
You have to keep fighting for it. So my college years, I felt the Lord say, you know, I'm in college, was in DLA, and felt like, God, I want to be a preacher. And looking at, okay, what are the ways I can grow in this skill? What are ways that I can, you know, kind of climb the ladder? What are ways that I can kind of open the door for myself and network? And, you know, that's the tension in us. That's the, some people would call it wisdom. And you know what the Lord said? Give it to me. So he said, I want you, Amy, I want you to give me five years that you lay it all down. And what that meant was it didn't mean that I, like, stopped going to school. and didn't, didn't mean that. But what it meant in my heart was I was going to fight to be on the hillside with Jesus. I wasn't going to fight for me. I was going to fight to love him. So those of you who are in college, who are looking at your 20s going, I got to fight for myself, lay it down. Lay it down. Go after him. Go to the hillside. And let me tell you, when that five years was over, I didn't want it to end. I said, God, keep me hidden. Keep me on the hillside. I far much, I love this far much more, so much more. I love being hidden in you where it's just me and you and I'm getting revelation from you and I don't have to share it with anybody else. It's just me and you, Jesus. And you can actually fall in love with the secret place. Listen, this whole thing up here, this is not like, yes. That is not how I feel. I want you to love him. I want you to love him. I want you to taste and see that he's good and that his pleasure is far greater. And he's worthy of your love. And that's why I'm up here. I'm up here because of obedience, not because I necessarily want it. I'm up here because I'm just, I dare to believe God. Would there be ones that arise as willing ones? Would there be ones that say yes to you? So I just want to invite the band to go ahead and come on up. See, when you see his worthiness, it provokes willingness. When you see how good and great he is, it provokes a yes in your heart that says, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, I'll pay any price, because that's what you've done for me. But here's what you have to understand that John the Baptist shows us is that he arose as a prophetic voice to his generation. And I believe the reason I'm talking about John the Baptist today is because I want him to become some of your heroes. That you say, I want to be like John the Baptist. I want to be a voice. But here's what I want to emphasize. Calling in the wilderness. Our voices are always cultivated in the wilderness. It's always cultivated in the place of fasting and prayer. God is not looking for the most talented. He's not looking for the brightest and the smartest. He's looking for the willing, my friends. That's who I was. Listen, you can talk to my team. I'm not the smartest. I'm not the most talented, but I'm willing. I'm willing. And so I just want to say to you, just be willing. Just be obedient. And God will use you. And what I mean by prophetic voices is voices that are not just preachers and from a platform, but you could be worship leaders, you could be photographers, you could be journalists, you could be moms that are discipling her children in her home, but your voices that are preparing their hearts for Jesus. He wants voices that will prepare hearts for him. 
Some of you, you have, you are like uber creative and the arts and media and making videos and you, you spend hours making the little Instagram things. I don't know what I think about that, but, but when the Lord is speaking to you, who knows where that message is going to go? So I just want to invite you to stand. Jesus, John the Baptist, Moses, Paul, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years in the wilderness. For Jesus, three years of ministry. John the Baptist, only two years of ministry. But you know what he said? The end of his life was worth it. Will you give yourself? So what I wanna call for today, I wanna pray for endurance. If you wanna be one that's a voice, if you wanna be a willing one, I wanna pray that you would have endurance for the long haul. That you would give yourself, that you would be okay with the hiddenness right now, that you would be okay with the secret place. And guess what's gonna happen is you're gonna fall in love with it. And then he's gonna say, okay, it's time to come out. And you're gonna be like, no, 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 let's stay here. But we gotta fight that. Cause right now we want this. Right now we want, we wanna have the voice. We want the fame. We want the attention. It's in all of us. It's in me. I still have to fight it. But that you would fall in love with cultivating the fire on the inside for him.